I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hello again, listeners. It's Esther Gallagher here today with Leah Chalofsky, um, an MFT. I'll introduce Leah in a moment. I'm very happy to have her on the show. Um, but I wanted to do our usual reminder that not only can you tell all your friends and family and people you don't even know um, about our podcast, fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, but we also have our Facebook page and we have um, a subscriber page um, and uh, support page called at Patreon. If you can go there and can afford to give us a little bit of support, we would so appreciate it. Um, so yeah, so today we're so happy to have Leah with us. She's a licensed family, marriage and family therapist who um, has a private practice in the, the Excelsior neighborhood of San Francisco and has been providing therapy since 2007. She worked as a nanny, theater workshop facilitator, and health educator prior to that. And prior to practice, private practice, she worked at two nonprofits that provided outpatient mental health services and court-ordered groups. Um, she's been in private practice at the Holistic Wellness Center that we so love, Community Well. For almost three years and specializes in working with maternal mental health, domestic violence, and anxiety. And as you listeners know, we talk about all of those things on this show quite a bit. And um, I'm so happy to be able to chat with Leah about all those subjects. So um, Leah, tell us... Um, kind of your story, what brought you here, uh, what's up? Thank you for having me, Esther. It's really nice to be here. I sort of always knew I wanted to be a therapist for a really long time, but it took me a while to get to the place where I was ready to do that as my career. I did work as a nanny and a theater workshop facilitator, doing workshops in the community, and when I was a health educator, I was teaching sex education in middle schools Very and high nice. schools. Ooh, um, we're going to want to talk about that <laughs> a little more. That was yeah. really interesting. A lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I also worked with teen parents during that time. And that helped me get to the place where I was really ready to go to grad school mm -hmm. and was ready to become a therapist because I was working with these teen parents and realized that I wanted to be working with them in a different capacity that mm -hmm. I really wanted to be more as a support mm -hmm. and really be able to talk to people about what they were going through and help them through their struggles. So I went to graduate school and worked in a few different nonprofits doing my internship hours 
worked with a really wide variety of clients and did a lot of group work, which uh, felt really natural for me and which I really enjoyed coming from doing theater workshops Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. teaching health ed. I had always been working with groups. So doing the court-ordered groups, um, did groups for people who had gotten DUIs or people who had been convicted of domestic violence Mm -hmm. and were court-ordered to do some group work. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the groups and learned so much through those experiences. Um, About the time that I got my license, I had my second kid (laughs) and was trying to figure out what was next for me and thought that private practice was probably the way I was going to go since I'm a mom and having two kids felt like private practice would be the most flexible and the easiest for me to do. And Is that true? <laughs> Not that you're doing um, it. <laughs> I think so because I can make my own schedule mm-hmm. and I can work during the hours when my kids are at school mm-hmm. or really make it work for my family. Mm-hmm. And luckily magically, (laughs) I met Ali Quintos, who was starting Community Well around that time, one of the founders. And she said, I'm starting this wellness center, and we'd love to have some therapists have their practice there. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So when my youngest was around nine months, I started at Community Well just one or two days a week, seeing clients. And it was such a perfect fit, not only because it's in the neighborhood (laughs) and uh, the people running it are just wonderful and amazing. And it really fit with me as a mom being able to work with a lot of moms and parents there. Mm -hmm. So being at Community Well, you know, we have Community Well has a lot of services for people who are pregnant, people who are parenting. And so it makes sense for me and my practice to move in that direction. And I've gotten a lot of referrals from other people at Community Well, and so have since done a lot of trainings and gotten some experience. And so now my practice really does focus a lot on working with parents and people who are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant and what that all means for them. So I um, work with individuals a lot, and then I also do some groups here and there, partially because people at Community Well have come to me and said, this is something that we think is needed, mm-hmm. and we are wondering if you would be interested in leading some groups. Mm-hmm. And um, what are the sorts of focuses for those groups, if there are focuses? Yeah, so the, um, I help facilitate a new parent circle, which meets twice a month. And Allie and another doula, Shannon Padlog, yes. um, they facilitate one of the sessions per month. And then I facilitate the other session. And that's a chance for anyone who has a new baby to be able to come and connect with other parents. And it's really open. It doesn't have a specific focus except parents. To show up. Yeah, mm-hmm. to show up. <laughs> parents of, of new babies. Mm-hmm. And... Is there an upper age limit for those babies? uh, Up to walking. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some who are crawling and there are some teeny little newborns, sort of whoever can make it out. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a chance just to connect with other parents and to be able to ask questions and talk about concerns mm-hmm. and also connect and form some community. Yeah. So that's the one group that I'm facilitating right now. The other group that I have done at Community Well is a cesarean birth support group. Oh, talk about that. Sounds great. Yeah. So that was something that I did after Allie approached me and said that she had worked with a bunch of uh, parents who had been through C-sections and were not planning on C-sections. And so the experience was traumatic for them. Mm-hmm. And they weren't expecting some of the emotions that they were having afterwards about the experience. And so I put it out there and have done a few sessions now where a group of women have come in and talked about their experiences and been able to connect with each other about what that was like and really process through what the birth meant for them and what the fallout has been or what the impact has been on them lasting Mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah. I think, um, this is a guess and you can correct me. Um, I think being able to say out loud in a group that might have a similar experience to yours, uh, with its own personal details, all of those things that you mentioned, Um, when so much of it is so mysterious in a way and so not what you were envisioning and imagining and, um, so not what your partner expected if you have a partner, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just being able to talk about it with someone who, with people who have some form of perspective on it. And, you know, doulas are great. And then we have our own limited experience as well. Mm -hmm. So reaching out into that community, that's the community of moms having C-section, who had C-section is huge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be really powerful for people to be able to voice their experiences and be able to tell their story without people saying things like, oh, well, at least you have a healthy baby, because that isn't always very, people mean well, but it isn't always very helpful um, as far as how people experience the birth. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sit in a room with other people who have experienced something similar, being able to relate to other people and hear that you're not alone Mm -hmm. in some of the thoughts and feelings that you're having. Which could really span the gamut, right? Anger, frustration, love, happiness, you know, I mean, it really does, in my experience, secondhand as a doula Mm -hmm. who does postpartum care and is somebody who clients can talk about and doesn't say the thing that I don't want people to say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, there, you know, really naturally, of course, um, because birth is so wide open, mm-hmm. um, it really does run quite a gamut. And to feel safe saying, I'm really angry about something that happened. Yes. You know, yes. Big. Yeah. And I think there can be shame mm. that women feel sometimes when they don't feel extreme joy mm. after giving birth. And when they have mixed feelings, mixed emotions about the birth experience or about 
the postpartum time mm-hmm. that they really can feel shame about it. And mm-hmm. so being in a safe place where they can voice those things and know they're not going to be judged for them mm-hmm. and know that there are probably other people in the room feeling the same thing, mm-hmm. that, that can be really healing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, let's circle around to that statement, right? That statement of, well, at least you have a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. You know, the person saying it may be very unconscious, but the fact is, I think that many of us would receive that statement as a shaming statement, right? Right? Like, why aren't you just feeling one thing, which is, thank goodness I have this happy baby, you know, this healthy baby, rather than, you know, um, gosh, how are you feeling about all this? It was a big event. Yeah. You know. And that it's okay to feel a wide variety of emotions. It's Mm -hmm. okay to feel gratitude that, yes, I have this healthy baby Mm -hmm. and we're both okay, and to feel anger or to feel disappointment or sadness about the birth itself and that it wasn't the experience that you were hoping it would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would even say not just, or, but, and yes, (laughs) right. And I will also add that surprisingly many women who've had quote unquote, perfectly great natural childbirths are going to feel quite a span of, different feelings, um, and have quite a span of different thoughts too. And so of course, if you've had a very unexpected or unwished for outcome, you know, that's going to be augmented. So yeah, it's wonderful to have a place that to go that's normalizing of all this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also I try to offer some tools for people to be able to manage those emotions and to cope with those emotions. So we do some mindfulness practice about my favorite (laughs) being able to accept your feelings and know that your feelings are okay. And to be able to sort of ride through them. Um, We also do some artwork as a way to (laughs) process emotions in a different way. That's not verbal, Mm -hmm. do some relaxation practices, a few different things during the course of the group experience so that people feel like they have some tools when they leave and that they feel like maybe they've gotten to a slightly different place with the birth Mm -hmm. that they feel a little bit um, more resolved about it or feel like they've been able to be heard and processed it and able to move on in a different way. Yeah. Maybe with just a little less frustration. Yeah. If if only, right? Like that would be great. Great thing. Um, Leah, would you talk a little bit more about um, working with your clients around anxiety? I know, of course we wouldn't talk about specific clients or, you know, specific presenting things, but anxiety is a thing that we're finally, finally, I think maybe hopefully, (laughs) maybe some of us acknowledging is, I would say almost a common feature of, Mm -hmm. of parenting, (laughs) if not just life. (laughs) Um, And it's a, it's a powerful, often unconscious, uh, force in our, in our lives. And so 
Um, it's often the case, certainly in my work that I'm working with people both prenatally and through the birth and through the early weeks of postpartum Mm -hmm. with this manifestation of kind of the, the emotional body, um, uh, that shows up in (laughs) unbidden and in mysterious ways (laughs) at times. Um, so would you, would you like to talk a little bit about working with anxiety? Sure. Sure. Um, I have worked with people who have felt some anxiety in preparing for birth, um, and, and, you know, anxiety about what birth is going to be like. Mm -hmm. I have worked with people who have given birth and are having anxiety about being parents Mm -hmm. and what that transition in identity means for them. What does it mean now that I'm a parent? (laughs) And (laughs) I have this little being that I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. I think also having a baby, especially if it's your first, brings up a lot in terms of how you relate to your family of origin and things that you've went through in your family. And that can bring up anxiety about, Am I going to repeat patterns? Am I going to harm my child? (laughs) There's so many anxieties (laughs) as a parent. And I think that, you know, there's that saying that when you have a kid, you wear your heart on the outside of your body. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really true in some ways Mm -hmm. that you are vulnerable in a way that you weren't before because you have this being that you love so much and that you want to take care of. And there are so many things that that come into play that you can't control. Mm-hmm. So I think anxiety is really common um, in prenatal, postpartum, that whole time period and continuing on as your kids get older. <laughs> yes. So, yes, anxiety. Let's 40 and 34 <laughs> now. <laughs> Yeah, no, a lot of the anxiety has quelled. (laughs) Took a while though. But anxiety is so common. Mm -hmm. And I also just want to say that a lot of times people think of postpartum depression and that that is the word that they use to describe the mood changes that happen after birth. But there's a lot of postpartum anxiety Mm -hmm. as well. And so I think that that's important to name. Yeah. You know, um, Years ago, this is so helpful to me. Um, years ago, when I was struggling with my social emotional health and seeing a therapist in MFT, um, I kind of prodded her one day to like give me a diagnosis, you know, like, like I sort of, it was one of those days where I just thought, okay, I've had it. I need Prozac, you know, like I just, I just have to figure out that right and um so I prodded her I prodded her and and (laughs) she smiled which was so good for me like to have somebody (laughs) in a moment like that give me a little smile and say well if I if I had to give you a phrase for what you're experiencing I think I describe it as anxiety driven depression Mm -hmm. and I thought oh oh like, that's why I feel so activated all the time and so collapsed mm-hmm. simultaneously. Like, that's a description I can get my teeth into and realize that what is 
being called depression, it's confusing to me because I'm not lying on the couch, unable to get up, mm-hmm. but I'm really out of sorts and really feeling collapsed. And that was so helpful. Um, and therefore I didn't need the Prozac in that moment. I was like, okay, now I have something I can kind of look into the world for help with in a different way. And, um, not, not, I have no judgments about taking mental health drugs. Like go for it. If, if that's going to really be what helps you, but then, but I just felt like it was such a good marker to then explore life, <laughs> you know, with another term yes. that could really help me. So thank you for saying, you know, the thing that gets called postpartum depression has many manifestations. Yes. And that anxiety and depression do often go hand in hand that oftentimes people feel anxious and then they feel depressed that they're feeling anxious or they feel depressed and they feel anxious that they're feeling depressed. <laughs> and yes. so they often go together. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to separate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there, there are a lot of things that can be helpful for clients with anxiety. And so some of the things that I use, I, I do teach a lot of mindfulness because I think that that can be so helpful in knowing that what you're experiencing is okay, that it's not going to kill you and it's not going to harm you in the long term, that it's really uncomfortable and it really sucks to feel it. <laughs> yes. But that if we take away sort of the second level of panic and anxiety about the anxiety, that the base level of anxiety feels a little bit more manageable. Yes. Beautifully described and so true in my own personal experience that this, this was the moment in my life where I realized I need tools Mm -hmm. of another nature. I need to do more than just talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and there was um, a mindfulness-based stress reduction course being offered specifically for midwives, doulas, and, and OB nurses. Um, so I took advantage of that Great. and changed my life. I mean, it really did. Yeah. At a time when, you know, my lovely teenage boy was a source of deep concern. Um, you know, I mean, he was actually much better than me. I just didn't realize it because I was running the anxiety about what his life must be. Like. Yes. Uh, for instance, you know, not to mention another whole big pile of other life elements. Mm-hmm. It really was phenomenally helpful to me. Yes. Really. Um, it's like a life marker for me. You know, the way people mark getting married or having a baby, um, that for me, it was also, uh, you know, kind of gave me my life back. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thrilled that you're, you have that to offer. I think it's just priceless, really. Thank you. And there, there are other things too, because some people don't find that mindfulness works for them. Sure. And some people don't relate well to that. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, there are other tools like cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're really looking at the thoughts that you're having and sort of examining them and analyzing them and saying, should I believe this thought? Maybe I shouldn't believe this thought. <laughs> and how can I replace that thought with a different thought that's more helpful? Mm-hmm. And that's more beneficial for some people. They yeah. find that that works better for them. Or some I can combination mm-hmm. of the two. I think I probably... Um, 
somehow learn to, to work a little of that in, like mm-hmm. give myself a moment, right? The mindfulness could just bring me back to the present. And then when I wasn't, you know, on the ceiling anymore, I could say, is it true? That thing that just drove me up to the ceiling, like, is that really what's happening? Right. Um, and what, and what is happening? And can I, is that something I can be with and work with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. it's also important to mention that anxiety, a lot of people think of anxiety as thoughts, worries, fears, but there's a lot of it, types of anxiety that feel like they live in the body. And I think yeah. especially for women who are going through intense hormonal changes, that women really feel anxiety in the body mm-hmm. a lot. And so that could be, you know, anywhere from stomach upset to shaking or sweating or hot mm-hmm. flashes. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes people feel like there must be something physically wrong with me. Right. And oh, I deal with that every week with right. my postpartum clients. Yes. So my job, of course, is to again and again normalize for them that this is part of the process of healing and recovery. It's okay. Here's some things you can do to ride it, but you know, try not to imagine that there's anything wrong. Yeah. yeah. And it's a good idea to get checked out by a doctor because there are certain medical conditions that can mimic anxiety, such as thyroid issues. Mm. So it is really important to get checked out by a doctor if someone is experiencing those symptoms ongoing. Mm-hmm. But once the medical issues have been ruled out, then it's important to recognize it as anxiety and recognize it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great, you know, that we, I think we know so much more (laughs) about how how these things play out physiologically. Mm -hmm. Um, When I say we, I I may be being a little broad. Um, I do think every... um, new mom is sort of reinventing the wheel. You know, there's so much that our culture doesn't share about the normalcy of the postpartum Mm -hmm. physiological recovery. Um, uh, It's not broadly just, you know, just talked about uh, before we ever get pregnant. So when the time comes, it kind of pounces on us that the intensity of the physiological recovery And, um, you know, we, we have things that women hear that, you know, well, if you just have a natural childbirth, everything goes great. Right. (laughs) Um, not true friends, (laughs) not always true. You know, that postpartum recovery is an intensive transition. Um, and so all the more, you know, possibility for anxiety arising. If you just thought, well, I squirt the baby out. That's the hard part. And then, you know, put them up to my breast gently and lovingly. And it's all really peaceful (laughs) after that. Um, Yeah. There's so much more to that transition. And that is another reason why I think it's so helpful for parents to be with other parents in some capacity during that postpartum time, because then you can talk about some of those things and know that, oh, I'm not alone. And this Mm -hmm. is a normal thing to be experiencing or to realize, wait, this isn't so normal. And this is something I need more help with. Yeah. 
because this is not something that all the other parents are experiencing. Mm -hmm. But being able to connect with parents and and figure that out Mm -hmm. can be really helpful. I think also, you know, a lot of times we think of the postpartum period and, and, you know, your podcast about the fourth trimester, you know, focuses on that sort of initial few months, but those hormonal changes and those life changes go on for a really long time. Very long time. And so sometimes people find that they're totally fine until they stop breastfeeding. And then they have a lot of hormonal changes and end up with some depression or anxiety. Or they're totally fine for a few years. And then once their hormones start changing in some other way, then they experience some difficulties. Mm -hmm. So it's all connected. Yes. And it reminds me... um, that, you know, our hormones are fundamental and they shift and change with things like, you know, our youngest going off to preschool or us going back to work and not seeing them for hours of the day. Right. Um, that, that induces hormonal change. Um, not, you know, anxiety (laughs) being, you know, a manifestation of like, oh my gosh, I don't get to see that little person that I'm used to seeing X hours of the day and kind of always knowing and having them able to check in with me. That's one level of, of social emotional stuff, but there is actually even also a hormonal change that happens when that little person isn't touching your body 17 times a day, you know? Um, So these things, you know, they're big, they're a big thing. And we don't tend to relate to them in an abiding way. We tend, at least the culture I grew up in was dismissive of women's changes by way of saying it's just hormonal. It's kind of like the the phrase, well, at least you have a healthy baby, right? Like there's nothing really going on here. You're just kind of a nut. And that's not reality. Yeah. That actually is not reality. There are big changes happening and they affect us molecularly, mm-hmm. cellularly. Um, so, and it's you know, not the full, and don't dismiss that. You yeah. might need help and resource for that. Yes. Yeah. And that hormones are not the full picture. They are a big piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. and there's so many other pieces that are going on in terms of sleep deprivation Mm. and identity changes and (laughs) relationship issues and not having any free time for yourself. (laughs) There's so many things that are happening during, you know, especially the first year or the first two years of your child's life Mm -hmm. and so many changes that it's not just the hormones. Yeah is a big role, but there are. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just the sleep deprivation and it's not just right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love that you name all those things together and no doubt we haven't mentioned a couple of them, you know, that we just didn't happen to remember, (laughs) but that these things are all interconnected, integrated into the experience we're having as we go along. Um, And if anyone is any, any one element or, combination of elements is really out of whack, you know, um, (laughs) hate that phrase 
don't mean to use a very heavy handedly, but, you know, having the resource of others to support, give tips here and there can really help you just tune something up a little here or there, which affects, you know, has a cascading effect. You know, I think a lot of times parents will name one thing, right? Well, if we could just get this baby to sleep, right? You know, everything will be better and every will be okay when that happens rather than maybe understanding like a baby has their own developmental physiological ways in which they do sleeping (laughs) and finding our way into a negotiated settlement <laughs> around that might be healthier than just imagining the baby has to change. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we're, it's, it's everybody together. You know? Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people talk about this too, that in times past, right, we would be raising kids in groups of people in mm-hmm. villages <laughs> or surrounded by family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, talk or a lot of servants, that. right. <laughs> I mean, let's remember right. that, you know, the wealthy have always just hired it in, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so here and now we don't have that support. We don't have a lot of people are living on their own without their families around mm-hmm. or don't have a lot of friends who mm-hmm. have kids and have babies. Yeah. And so it's, it's very common in urban areas that people mm-hmm. have just arrived mid-pregnancy. Right. To, into you know, their geographical area, which hasn't yet become their neighborhood and their community. Mm-hmm. And that's a big transition to be making. Yes. Yeah. So I think that going to new parent circles, going to yoga classes, going to groups, going anywhere that you can go to connect with other parents mm-hmm. is going to be really helpful because at least then you won't feel so alone and yeah. so isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, those are great places because it's very likely you'll make friends. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody's there sort of for the ra- same reasons and can relate. Yes. Yeah. I always feel really happy when I'm facilitating the new parent circle. And at the end, some of the parents say, oh, let's go get lunch together. <laughs> and that's always really nice to see. Yeah. I was just thinking about how. You know, if you find yourself at a yoga class or a new parents group or a pregnancy group, you know, the other nice thing about living in San Francisco is you can walk a block and you'll be at a cafe. (laughs) So it can be kind of an immediate thing, right? Like you can literally say hi to somebody and go sit down and make a friend somewhere nearby. It's not, you know, having grown up rurally, um, you know, I, I have a deep concern for new parents in rural areas because um, very little of this exists. It could exist. There are ways. And um, I imagined ways when I was a young mother in my community and I reached out and, you know, almost always you can find somebody. But um, the nice thing about urban areas is you probably can find it if you if you look a little look around is probably already in existence. Yes. Um, so that's yeah. one of the reasons why I've been so happy working at Community Well mm-hmm. is I think that is one of the main ideas behind it. Yeah, the whole purpose. Yeah, let's create community for people around this time of life 
and around other kinds of life as well, because community well doesn't just serve people who are parents and, and pregnant. And it really has this model of, you know, maybe you can come see me for therapy and you can go to a new parent circle and you can go to a nutrition class and you can <laughs> do physical therapy and you can do it all yeah. in this one space. And so people really are building community by seeing people in multiple places within community well yeah, and finding that they feel like they have somewhere they can go, mm-hmm. that they feel comfortable. I love it. You know, um, it reminds me of um, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager uh, and beyond that, my mom, after graduating college with uh, four kids, wow. <laughs> um, she got her degree in what at that time at Chico State was called uh, social welfare and corrections. Hmm, <laughs> yes, but she was more interested in the social welfare aspects, of course. And she became executive director of Head Start for four rural counties. And because of my age and stage, like we hang out together. A lot of times after school, I would just go hang out at her office before going home with her and things like that. Um, but the Head Start model was much like what you're describing, mm-hmm. very deeply involved in parent participation mm-hmm. and offering parenting parents lots of various kinds of courses, little classes where they could learn. Like you said, you talked about nutrition and you talked about um, child development. I mean, that's what Head Start's about is child development. And so parents got to learn and do along with um, the other uh, various staff people who, and many of those parents would go on to become staff because they would get their educations, you know, they were encouraged to be resourceful and Head Start would help them connect up with how to get back into college or into college at all. Or um, So it was a wonderful integrated system, I thought, and um, hopefully still is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I really, I really so enjoyed being part of community well, Mm -hmm. and also being part of the network of other practitioners Mm -hmm. who were there that it feels like we really can support each other in some community as practitioners. We come together once a month for potlucks Mm -hmm. and are able to network with each other and figure out how we can also best serve the community that we're trying to serve. Um, I'm also on the board, the advisory board. Oh, of community well. So I'm also trying to be involved in growing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and seeing what we can do and how we can offer more. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. The wheels are turning in my head. What can I do at community (laughs) well? Um, Yeah. So um, this is not a pleasant subject, but I do feel like it's a very, very important one to talk about in, in a platform like this that I have to mm-hmm. offer. And um, hopefully you have uh, something you'd be willing to say about it. But I think, you know, domestic violence is sort of this almost nebulous term for people in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge 
that domestic violence incidences are often at a peak during uh, pregnancy and postpartum, Mm -hmm. right? So, so it's, it's a time of life that's stressful Mm -hmm. and it's a time of life where, um, tendencies towards violence are, are likely to be augmented like, um, by the circumstance. And so, uh, I wonder if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about your work, um, past and present, possibly future with domestic violence. Sure. Uh, well in the past, like I mentioned earlier, I was facilitating court ordered groups Mm -hmm. for, uh, males and females who had been convicted of domestic violence and have also worked with survivors and victims. Mm-hmm. And now my work is with individuals. Um, so I'm not doing groups with domestic violence right now, but I am working with people um, on both sides, all sides. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people think of domestic violence as, you know, there's one person in the relationship who is the aggressor and is the perpetrator and does this to someone else. And that is sometimes the case. And sometimes it's more complicated. I should imagine. And almost always. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot of times. Mm-hmm. So. Which I hope our understand, our listeners understand is not victim blaming. No. Right. This is not what we're talking about. No. That somebody has to be wrong. Um, uh, it's way more deep than that. Yes. And not just, it's like the old phrase, at least you have a baby, you're right. Like a healthy baby. Like that's not where we're going. Yeah. I don't exactly. Thank you for saying that. I don't want to victim blame at all. Um, it's just, it can be a very complicated issue and, more than I can say here <laughs> sure, and now. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right that pregnancy and postpartum, because there's so much stress, because there are identity changes that that really can bring up a lot in relationships. And if there is someone who is the aggressor um, in a heterosexual relationship, oftentimes it's the male and that going through a shift where they're not the center of their partner's world anymore, that now there's a baby, now there's a little person, that sometimes that can trigger things mm-hmm. and can trigger violence. I think it's also important to recognize that it's not just physical violence. Thank you. That yeah. there is emotional violence and mental violence and sexual violence and financial violence. There's all these different ways of a that people can abuse others, unfortunately. And again, there's so much shame that comes when someone is being abused. And oftentimes a lot of psychological manipulations so that they don't want to share what's going on. Don't tell people, think it's their fault. And so people don't talk about it. And it can be just so confusing. Like, how do I, I, I don't understand this myself. How do I talk about what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like if I can't nail it down, then maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's so often a challenge, um, having had these experiences yes. in my own life, uh, like, wait, it, 
is this what it feels like? Right. You not know? even really understanding it, what's, what's going on, what's yeah. happening. Yes. Not even being able to name this mm-hmm. is abuse or this is violence, mm-hmm. maybe until much later. Mm-hmm. Or even just, I feel threatened by this behavior. You know, whatever's going on, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what I tell people when people call or when people get in touch with me is, or what I try to do is just be really gentle um, with the person who's calling that, you know, there isn't one way to define this and let's figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And, Let's talk about what this feels like for you and what's happening and obviously connecting people to resources and um, legal help if they need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And also just a safe place to feel like they can come and talk about what's happening or what has happened in the past Mm -hmm. and to be able to sort that out because that's another piece is that sometimes people have experienced something in the past and didn't really process it or deal with it. And then it's coming out later. Yes, very much. And that just because the situation has dissipated doesn't mean you're not carrying Mm -hmm. so much of what, what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking about this. I want to, I want to bring us around before we end, um, to a subject that I find to be a happy subject, although I think the culture often wouldn't necessarily relate to it as a happy subject. And that's, um, teen parenting and teenage pregnancy. Um, as my listeners know, my daughter was born when I was 18 and, um, so I was a young parent and I really enjoyed being pregnant and giving birth. Postpartum was rough and challenging and difficult, but um, uh, for lots of various reasons. Um, and I also enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm someone who, uh, when I hear the phrase teen pregnancy used in a paragraph that feels to me like a a blanket judgment Mm -hmm. (laughs) of all things, you know, parenting before the age of 30, (laughs) my hackles go, (laughs) I'm a little defensive about it. Um, because I just, I just don't think that's the reality. Like, I think that we've got a cultural reality around the subject that is unsupportive. Mm-hmm. that's how I view it from a very, you know, selfish personal place. Um, I was lucky to get a lot of support in many ways. Um, but um, why don't you talk about your experience uh, working around the subject? Sure. Well, the experience that I had was uh, part of this program where teen parents would come into schools mm-hmm. and talk about their experiences as teen parents. And the program really was aimed at um, pregnancy prevention mm-hmm. for teens. And so it was part of this, you know, program of teaching about birth control and STDs and decision-making and in a very well-rounded way, mm-hmm. uh, talking about all those experiences. So the teen parents would come in and share, you know, how they got pregnant and 
what life has been like for them since getting pregnant and becoming parents. And so when they were talking in front of classes, it kind of was focused on what is hard, Mm -hmm. what is difficult about being a teen parent. Sure. Because that was kind of the aim of the program (laughs) was to help prevent unplanned teen pregnancies, especially when there isn't a lot of support for people. I think, or because, right? Because let's face it, you know, you're going to do this thing and your culture is going to withhold forms of support because of your choice to give birth at an early age. Right. And I think my experience working with these teen parents, however, was that a lot of them, some of them were thriving, right? Like a surprise. <laughs> some of them actually it did make a positive impact on them to become parents at a young age and it changed their lives for the better. So in some ways it was difficult to come into schools and, and, you know, talk about what's hard about it. And then would we would, you know, leave the stage and they would often talk about how much they love their kids and how mm-hmm. things are wonderful. And it, it really, I think shows that there, it isn't just all one thing or another. Right. Right. And it really Absolutely. does come down to support and it really does come down to what kind of family you have around you and what kind of community you have around you and whether you have a supportive partner who's there with you, it, there's so many factors that determine what the experience is going to be like. Yeah. And even for people where it's really hard, sometimes it can end up being a really positive thing in the long run. Um, but yeah, it is really difficult for a lot of people too. So sure. It's such a mixed bag. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and let's remember that just because you hit, 35 and got your degree and got your career and got, you know, all of those things together that you were supposed to do before having kids, right? Air quotes here. Um, Doesn't mean like it's a cakewalk. No. Right. So I think um, reality check on all this. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's such an individual experience. Yeah. And so there are people who have babies that, at teen and during their teen years who it's really a wonderful experience for. And there are people who have experience, you know, having babies at 40 and are really, really struggling. You're really, really doesn't matter the age so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in low, these many years of doing this, I've worked with the span and been in the span. Um, and yeah, I, I think, uh, it does very much come down to uh, not one simple thing, uh, but that that sort of integrated complex of resource from all the various angles, within and without. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks. And I think, you know, one of the main messages of the program was decision-making, mm-hmm. right? And was yeah. thinking about, like, how do you make this decision about whether to have sex or not? How do you make the decision about whether to be a parent or not if you do get pregnant? Yeah. And so it was really about trying to empower people to make those decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not have it be by default mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> if possible. Yeah, that's great. That's lovely. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, it's a, It's a... It's always a fun topic for me. <laughs> so, um, 
So Leah, why don't you give our listeners your contact info and any other little tidbits that you'd like before we say goodbye? Sure. So uh, obviously I have my private practice at Community Well at Mm -hmm. 78 Ocean Avenue. People can reach me by phone, 415-305-1228. I'm also available by email, L-E-A-H dot C-H-A-L-O-F-S-K-Y at gmail.com. I have a website, which is L-E-A-H-C-H-A-L-O-F-S-K-Y. O-F-S-K-Y dot com. <laughs> um, so I'm reachable. I'm also on Psychology Today listing um, on the Community Well website. So I'm pretty easy to find. Great. And yeah, I have an you know, individual practice right now, seeing clients individually. And I'm sure I will do more groups in the future because I really do enjoy leading groups. Wonderful. Leah, thanks again for coming on the show. I'm so thrilled. This is a really fun conversation. Um, and listeners, uh, thanks again for showing up and hearing what we have to say. Um, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. And I guess we do all of those Twittery things. Um, <laughs> I actually do them myself. I just don't really know what I'm doing when I do them. Um, <laughs> But so far, so good. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Fourth Trimester Podcast. Tell everyone you know. And thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the Fourth Trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the Fourth Trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake
know you're doing the best that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I sing a song for you